0: this morning we begin with the climax of the book of exodus that's found here in chapter 14 the actual crossing of the red sea throughout the years i've seen multiple artistic interpretations of this part of the book um, in movies uh, like the ten commandments uh, not the there's two versions of this one done in 1923, I think, 25 or something like that, and one done in 1956. The 1956 one was the first one that I, I saw. It was, uh, we were still in youth. Huya Alex was our youth leader. Um, that tells you how old he is, right? He <laughs> used to go to his house. He would buy us pizza and watch the, the Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston. That was the first one that I saw. And then came the Prince of Egypt back in 1998. Uh, those of you, you know that you know that one, right? The Prince of Egypt when Pharaoh's, uh, Pharaoh and Moses were brothers. Where'd they get that from? Well, anyway, that was the next one. Um, and the most recent movie on Exodus, Gods and Kings. Have you guys seen that? 2014 with, um, uh, with Batman, Christian Bale <laughs> as Moses. Yeah, uh, yeah, that that was a that was a messed up one. <laughs> if you know, if you read your Bible and you watch these movies on biblical events like this, it's kind of like, what what are they doing? Uh, but the Charlton Heston one was the was the closest one, uh, even though obviously uh, it doesn't get to the heart of the message, especially of this part of it. This part of it was always the the climax. Oh, here comes the parting of the sea and. Uh, People tune in for that. It's like the Titanic, right? You you don't care about the rest of the movie. You just want to see the ship sink, right? Because that's what the Titanic is about. Uh, And this, uh, the story of the crossing of the Red Sea, is all about the parting of the sea. So now, as Christians and as hopefully Bible readers, uh, you know, Bible-believing people, um, how should we interpret, how should we read this part of the Exodus story? Should we just read it for the miracle that happened and, you know, the, the challenges that came after that? Or, as Tim Keller put it, this chapter in the or this passage in the Old Testament is the chapter that we should read Christologically. If there is a chapter in the Old Testament, you know, that you should read with biblical or the gospel lens, you know, using the gospel lens, it's this one. A crossing of the Red Sea should be read Christologically or in reference to Christ and the gospel. Right? It should be focused. That should be our focus on the parting of the Red Sea, not the actual parting itself. Although I would argue that it actually happened, right? I'm not denying that. It actually happened. But that's not the point of the story. Right? Our reading of this chapter should be anchored on the salvation of God through Jesus Christ. Now, if you remember uh, the messages before this one, even going back to the end of Genesis, and I would say you go back to Genesis 3. Our focus has always been that of how God, in His grace, saves sinful mankind through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's always been the focus, even in Genesis even as we entered Exodus and even as you go into the New Testament this has always been the focus the, the account of the Red Sea crossing is probably the most visual representation of that salvation you yeah, yeah, guys ever think about that? that the account of the Red Sea has nothing to do with two brothers going against each other it has nothing to do with miracles and parting of the sea it has all to do with showing us how God saves we're supposed to read this section of the Exodus story, the crossing of the Red Sea, with the gospel in mind, then the question we need to answer is this. What can we learn from this chapter about how God saves through the Lord Jesus Christ? What is it? Okay? First thing that we can learn about this chapter is that salvation is about getting out. When we talk about salvation, you're talking about you're being saved from something. You're getting out of something. That's the first thing we should learn. Second thing we should learn that salvation is about a crossing over. Okay, Crossing over from slavery to freedom. Crossing over from death to life. That's that's salvation. Um, And third thing that we can learn from this or we should learn from this chapter is that salvation is about how you got out, how you crossed over. A mix of the first two points. So, Again, Tim Keller uh, tells this story about an Old Testament scholar named Alec Motier, uh, who was once asked by R.C. Sproul to say something about the connection between the Old Testament and the New. So this is just Keller telling his story about when he was still in his college days. How uh, R.C. Sproul asked this young man from Britain, how would you make a connection? How would you describe the connection between the Old Testament and the New Testament? And If you're reading the Red Sea, uh, the crossing of the Red Sea with the gospel lens, you need to see the connection as well. We need to see that as well. So what did Motir say oh, about the connection between the Old Testament and the New? He said this and you guys can read it. Motir replied, think about it. Think of what an Israelite would say on the way to Canaan after passing through the Red Sea. So if you were walking back from Canaan and you met an Israelite, What do you think that Israelite would say? If you asked an Israelite, who are you? He might reply, well, I was in a foreign land and under the sentence of death and in bondage, but I took shelter under the blood of the Lamb and our mediator led us out and we crossed over. Now we're on our way to the promised land, though we're not there yet. But he, God, has given us his law to make us a community and he... God has given us a tabernacle because we must live by grace and forgiveness. And he, God, is present in our midst and he will stay with us until we arrive home. That's exactly what a Christian says, almost word for word. Is that what you would say? Somebody asked you, why are you a Christian? How are you a Christian? Is that what you would say? The Red Sea crossing is one of the most visual biblical accounts of our salvation in Christ. And this picture of crossing over the sea is how we should understand how we were saved by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Martin Lord Jones, you know who Martin Lloyd Jones is? Again, theologian, um, uses this analogy of crossing over as a test to see if a person truly understands how they were saved. Lloyd Jones would ask people, Are you a Christian? And if the answer to that question is, Well, I'm trying to be, then Lloyd Jones would explain to them that their answer says that they had no idea what Christianity is all about. What would you answer to that question? Are you a Christian? Because every time I ask people here if they're Christian, and I ask people, raise your hand if you're a Christian. Nobody wants to. Do you really understand what being a Christian really means? If I was to ask you right now, how would you respond to that question? Are you a Christian? If your answer is, I'm trying. That's why I'm here. And I'm afraid to say that you haven't. You, you You don't get it yet. Keller says that being a Christian is about a change in status. Where before you were a Christian, you belonged to another kingdom or another family. Before you were a Christian, you were born of flesh. Before you were a Christian, you were under God's wrath. That's the status or the standing of those who are not Christians. But once you cross over, your status changes. So essentially, the story of the Red Sea crossing talks about how a person becomes a Christian. And I would argue that this part of the story is mainly focused on a person's justification being made right before, before God. And again, I say that because after the crossing of the Red Sea, the Israelites did not go directly to the promised land, right? You guys remember? I showed you the map. I'll show you the map again. This is the map that tracks the trip or the, can you even see that? Okay, there we go. So that's the map that tracks their path, the Israelites' path. So they crossed the Red Sea at point number three. You see that? On point number three? At Phi or whatever, Pi Hahirot. That's where they crossed over. After that, that's like what I said last week, they could have crossed over to the wilderness and get to Canaan right away, but they didn't. They went around. Right? They could have taken a shortcut, but they didn't. So some of the messages that I've heard about this event, going back to as far as I can remember, is that the reason why God made the Israelites go around was because they were stubborn. They didn't want to listen. They didn't want to fully obey. And That's partly the case, but if you were to read the whole Exodus narrative in light of the gospel, again, And our own salvation, that path that God led them through is really for the purpose of their growth, sanctification, so that their faith in God will continue to get strengthened. That's that's been my message for the past three weeks. That God, in His grace, is doing this today. He's making them go around. First of all, He rerouted them, made them go around so that, He could strengthen their faith in him so that he could show them how faithful he is every time they encounter a problem, trial, right? At the same time, he made them go around to get to the Mount Sinai that he could give them parameters, his law, right? For what? Again, to strengthen their faith in him. So reading the Exodus story is like an analogy for our own salvation. The crossing of the Red Sea is a pointer to our justification by faith. The Wilderness wandering is a pointer to our sanctification. And finally, reaching the promised land is a pointer to our glorification. That's in a nutshell. So back to our original question. What can we learn from this chapter about God or how God saves through the Lord Jesus Christ? First, salvation is about getting out or being saved from something. Let's read it. Uh, uh, Exodus thirteen twenty to 22. Can you guys read that? I don't have my water. Okay, 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 okay. Stop, 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 Did you just hear what I just said? <laughs> Why are we... You guys want to see this? Like, you, you, I, the reason why I make you read this is not just to wake up the, the, the dead people, okay? And I say dead because that's how they mean, right? They are all all asleep, meaning they're dead. Uh, to wake up the, the sleeping people, but also so you guys can actually be in the story, okay? If I read it, sometimes you, you people just float away, but if you're in the story because you're reading it, then you're in the story. Think about it and while you read this. Think about the crossing over. What are they getting away from? Can you guys read it again? 13 20 to 22. Amen. Said, get out, and they left. Exodus 14, starting from verse 5 to 9. Can you guys read it? So, in the end of 13, Pharaoh said, get out. Beginning of 14, Pharaoh says, eh, why did I let them out? Let's go get them back. After 400 years, right, the Israelites have been freed from slavery. They're now leaving Egypt. God has led them, rerouted them, so they will be encamped near the Red Sea. If you're an army strategist this would be the worst place to go, right? You just left your captor, you, you know, you're a, you escaped. And you go and where behind you is water? No, 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 because there's nowhere else to go. That's the worst place to go, right? But God led them to that place. And again, looking at this event through the gospel, lens, we can see how God's salvation takes us from slavery to freedom, but that freedom eh, won't come easy. Okay? Seems like the freedom is short-lived even when you read the story. Because they just, they just left, now these guys are coming after them right away. Right? It seems like it's short-lived. So what can we learn from this part? What can we learn from this part? Does this mean that God's salvation is ultimately temporary or unsure? No. Because at this point in the story, the people of Israel have yet to cross over. Let's see. So, now, what is the significance of this part of the story? What do we need to realize about this part of the story? First, sin is a slave master. As far as we're looking at it, again, we're looking at it, gospel lens, our salvation. Sin is a slave master. And any slave master will never just give you up. It will keep coming after you while you're still alive, or as the Bible puts it, while we are still in the flesh. It's like mosquitoes or black flies in the summertime. You ever been camping summertime? You just kept coming. You keep doing this, though. Always hear they come to your eyes. Sin is like that, it will not just leave you alone, it won't just go away. And not only that, it doesn't just bug you, it causes you to sin even more. Look at what's happening in the world right now. I was telling this to the Sunday school. So many TikTok videos. I'm watching all this. TikTok is probably the worst. Thing that could ever been invented, like seriously, anybody TikTok here? <laughs> the worst thing that I could have ever been. Invented. First of all, um, people have this platform to broadcast their stupidity. Why would you give somebody that platform? But they do. That's what it's for. And there's so many stupid things going on in TikTok. I saw this one guy uh, on TikTok. He's a uh, Oh, in his 20s, um, he doesn't want to work. He made a TikTok video about not wanting to work. He said that the government should just feed him and give him his housing and his food. And his. Why, why, why do you want to do that? Oh, because he, this dude wants to just do whatever he wants. I just want to spend time with my family. and You know, working takes eight hours of your day takes so much time 40 hours a week what so he wants the government to just give him food give him money give him shelter so that he can do whatever it is that we all want to do but we have to work so the solution to that that this dude is thinking is the best solution don't work <laughs> okay obviously this guy is not thinking straight because Who's going to give him, who's going to make the house that he's going to be living in? Who's going to farm the food that he's going to be eating? Who's going to cook it? So basically what he's saying is, I want everybody else to work and support me. That's stupid. (laughs) Right? That's sin. Laziness. What does the Bible say? Those who don't labor, let him not eat. (laughs) Right? So how is that sin that is everywhere, right? It is everywhere. How is is that sin not just an annoyance, which is for me it is. That's why I feel angry even up till now. I watched this like on Monday. I'm still angry that there are people out there like this. How is that affecting me? Exactly this. Because I'm, I'm sinning because I'm getting angry. <laughs> but that's what sin does. Right? Sin as a master will not just let you go, talk about, okay, you know, Israelites, you are free to go. It's going to keep coming after you. Every single day, it won't just leave. That's the first thing that we can learn from that part of the story. Second thing that we can learn from how the Israelites are hard to be freed, but the sin keeps chasing out, or not sin, but the slave masters keeps chasing after them. Second thing we can learn from that is that freedom from sin as a slave master is a process, and that process has different stages, different layers to it. Again, Tim Keller points out, being saved is being released from bondage. So when we talk about salvation, from sin, it's being released from a slavery, from bondage. But this release takes time because bondage has layers to it. There's different layers to bondage. Look at the Israelites. At this point in the story, they were already released from bondage by Pharaoh himself. Again, uh, this time chapter 12, verse 31 and 32. You guys read that. Yeah. Get out of here. You're blessing me and you get out of here. I say that to some people sometimes. Just leave. You're actually blessing the church when you leave. Um, but, what, but think about what Pharaoh just said. Just leave. Right? So Israelites, if you're an Israelite, you're free. Pharaoh himself said it. You are free from bondage. Physically Free from bondage. So they left Egypt on the decree of Pharaoh. They're on their way to the promised land. Uh, And note again, they're on their way. Not there yet. So that's one layer. One layer when it comes to our salvation, freedom from wrath of God, freedom from the penalty of sin, is objectively we have already been freed. What does that mean? We know by faith that Jesus died, paid for our penalty, rose again. Objectively, we know that. It's true. It happened. We believe it by faith. Right? Amen? So objectively that's done. We don't owe God anything. So objectively we've been freed from sin. That's one layer. And in the Exodus story is that God took the Israelites physically out of Egypt. Now, even though objectively, physically, the Israelites are on their way. they packed up. They're on their way out of Egypt, on the way to the promised land. Externally, physically, that's true. But internally, it's not. Internally, they are still slaves. In other words, God took the Israelites out of Egypt in the Exodus. Now in the wilderness, God has to take Egypt out of the Israelites. That's why God said, told them in the Feast of the Eleven Bread, rid yourself of this inside. Don't eat it. And outside. Right? God has to now get rid of the Egypt, okay, that mentality of slavery out of the Israelites. And that's where I keep saying this. That's where we are right now. Those of us who are Christians. Again, who's the Christians here? but I am not ashamed of the gospel, <laughs> right? That's where we all are right? right now, right? Our old slave master, our old slave master is, is done. He's defeated by the Lord Jesus Christ. But they keep pursuing us, right? They're going to keep pursuing us until they, they capture us again, right? That's, that's what's happening to To us right now, physically they've left out of Egypt. This is where we're at right now. Our old slave masters are still pursuing us, though. Um, And look how the Israelites reacted once they saw the Egyptians coming. Uh, 14, Exodus 14, verses 10 to 12. Guess we. Right away. Right away. People who have been objectively, physically freed from slavery. Something happens right away. 180. Right? They turned against God. They even forgot how powerful God is to save. So instead of fearing God, they feared the power of the Egyptian army. They even forgot what they said. When they were crying out to God for salvation. Isn't that what they said? Lord, when are you going to save us? Then God saves them. They get out of Egypt. They're stuck in by the sea. Is there, uh, Egyptians are coming. All of a sudden, didn't we tell you to just leave us in Egypt? No, that's not what you said. <laughs> you said you wanted to be saved. Now you're saved. But there is still something in them. They even blame Moses. It's your fault. Why did you bring us here? Right? For A lot of people, that's the reality of their lives right now. We have been saved. then one thing happens. You flip. I feel bad for all the Christians out there who are, um, you know, getting on with this, you know, this bandwagon that churches are uh, are, are riding on when it comes to the LGBTQ community. But you flip just like that. You know how you were saved. You know what God saved. You know what God saved you from. But then this pressure comes at you from this fringe community. Uh, yeah, I said that. Yeah, I might get in trouble, but whatever. But that that's what it is. And you flip. Is that it? Is that there's just something in there, right? Something else is, um, is tugging at you. It's that slavery mentality still, right? That you have to, you know, um, um, please man. That man-pleasing uh, idea, that man-pleasing mentality. You don't want to go against this because you're going to get in trouble. That's what's happening to the Israelites, right? Oh no, the Egyptians are coming. Even though they've objectively been freed... And they witnessed the freedom, how they were freed by God, how powerful God is. They still think they're slaves. They know that they have been freed from slavery, but they don't really know what it means to be free. They're still carrying this sense of misplaced guilt, which led to fear and panic, as if They were still under Pharaoh's rule as if Pharaoh can still punish them and even kill them. As if. And again, some Christians are like that today. I'm going to give you a simple example. Maybe you guys can relate to this one. Who here uh, likes to go across the border to Buffalo go shopping? Oh, now nobody wants to raise their hand. I see your pictures all the time on Facebook, right? Every time you cross the border, you go through customs, right? Every time you go through customs, the customs guys oh, are, what, "What are you carrying? How much are you with you? How much money you got?" People always feel afraid going through customs. I don't know why. You're not unless you're carrying a gun in the, the back of your truck or whatever, or drugs or whatever. There shouldn't be nothing to fear, right? But why are we like, we're always guilty when they ask us, so where are you going? You're always like guilty right away. Oh, uh, (laughs) why are you going there? Uh, why why are we like that? You're not, some of of you are guilty. Some of you are, (laughs) especially coming back, Canadian side, right? (laughs) How much did you buy? Uh... (laughs) Ah, they should ask, how much. Did you pay for that? All, all the stuff that you're wearing? How much is that? <laughs> because that's, a lot of people, they do that, right? They wear everything. Uh, five pairs of socks, three pairs of jackets, so they don't pay taxes. But unless you're guilty, you shouldn't feel guilty, right? But we still do. Why? Why is that? There is that, that part of us that are still like feeling like, oh man, maybe I did something wrong. Maybe I was supposed to go to church today. Maybe because I didn't read my Bible. And listen to this. If, as a believer, you let other people's opinions of you build you up or tear you down, or if you let your circumstances determine your joy and your status in life, or if you still allow success or failure to determine your worth, you're still a slave. Mm. If you allow other people's opinions of you build you up, tear you down, you still have an idol. Either you or other people's opinions. Because that's what you're allowing to determine who you are. You're still an idol. You're still in bondage to your idols. What is an idol? You were talking about this during Wednesday prayer meeting. Basically, an idol is anything that you regard more than God. Anything that you regard the more important, more valuable than God. So if you regard other people's opinions of you so highly that it either builds you up or tears you down you're regarding their opinion above God's. Because what does God say? Come. That's why you need me. Because you can't do it yourself. But because I love you, because gracious, merciful towards you, come. No need to clean yourself. Just just come. Just believe. But if that's not you, if you regard other people's opinions highly, highly than that, um, than God's, then they're still an idol. If you let your circumstances determine your joy and status in life, that's your idol. Right? Oh, uh, I don't have this much money in the bank. Oh, uh, you know, how come other people have this and I don't? Oh, there's still an idol there. Right? You're still in bondage. And those circumstances could be Uh, It doesn't have to be like your status in life. It could be um, your success or failure in ministry. Because the ministry itself could be an idol. Test yourself. How how upset do you get when someone goes against your ministry? I, I did this myself. How upset do I get? Somebody's going against my ministry. Somebody talks about my preaching or... Somebody talks about how the church is going, or it's all so negative. How upset do I get? Yeah, choir. Yeah. Somebody talks about choir. You get upset? Hmm? Because if you get so upset that you, just, you can't even see straight anymore, then maybe it's the ministry what if god took you out of that ministry how would you feel right? or on the other hand how proud do you get when your ministry is doing well when somebody's talking about oh your guys are so uh, you're doing this great uh, how proud do you get if there's anything in your life that is more important to your own security or significance other than god then you still have idols We all do. And so even though God has objectively saved us by grace through faith in Christ, there are still levels of bondage that remains within us, which manifests itself in the way we still hold on to some of our idols. And the greatest idol is self. That's why there's so many people, when you, tell, when you try to correct them, when you try to straighten them out, I was telling Sunday school, they get angry. <laughs> try to go against what they think is right. They're, they get angry. And really angry. Right? I, the example that I used in Sunday school was the, um, the Jesus commercial on the Super Bowl. You guys saw the commercial? He gets us campaign. It's a commercial about loving each other and just, you know, they're doing what Jesus did pretty much, loving each other and just promoting peace. It was that commercial. Um, and it was good. It was a good commercial. Uh, yeah, okay. It didn't, it didn't proclaim the whole gospel story. It didn't proclaim the whole gospel because it just says, God loves you. God loves you. And that's true. But it didn't say, why? <laughs> why you need that kind of love. Why you need that kind of salvation? He didn't say that. But I believe that, you know, what Paul said, as long as the gospel is preached, I will rejoice. Right? So the gospel was preached. Twitter blew up. Why? Why are all these Christians just, you know, shoving Jesus down our throats? Why are all these Christians doing that? Why can you just keep to themselves? So you like people shooting each other. You like that. So you like people going to schools and shooting children. Yeah, you like that. You like millions of babies dying in abortion. You like that. You like racial tension. You like that? That's how depraved some people are. That's how much we need the Lord Jesus Christ. But when you give them Christ, they don't want it. Romans 8, 7, right? For the mind of the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it can't. So when you straighten them out, they get angry. Because they're still holding on to that idol of theirs. Can't let that go. When the, uh, the other illustration I used in Sunday school was when the um, Roe versus Wade, the ruling on abortion in the States, when it happened? Twitter blew up again. Twitter. Uh, <laughs> TikTok and Twitter. <laughs> get, get out of these platforms. And Facebook even. Uh, but we use it. So where do, you, where do you stand on that, right? But it's a different sermon. Uh, <laughs> TikTok, Twitter... Get over. So, abortion rule was changed in the states. People blew up, right? Uh, Matt, uh, Matt Walsh, you know Matt Walsh, YouTube. Not Matt Walsh. Uh, I forget his name. But anyways, he has this review of he, he does reviews of TikTok videos of people who are freaking out about social issues. One of the social issues was that the abortion issue, and he just so- showed um, a bunch of uh, people just reacting to it. And people are angry. Like they start cursing Christians and you effing Christians, you leave us to our rights. We have the right to our own body. We have one woman just yelled throughout the whole video. No words. Just ah! <laughs> like a child throwing a tantrum. Ah! Right? Why? Because they I want to do what I want with my own body as a woman. Because that doesn't apply to men, apparently. <laughs> right? Men, sorry. We can do whatever we want with you. We can even turn you into a woman. <laughs> but that's, what, it, that's crazy, right? Yeah, you can do whatever you want to your body, but the, 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 the baby inside you, that's not your body anymore. Well, people get mad. People get angry. And it's, what's funny is they're getting angry for women's rights. They can't even define what a woman is anymore. Well, what is a woman? Apparently anybody can be a woman. But no, but it's true now. That's, that's, that's how it is outside. I don't know if we're in a bubble in here or what, but that's what, that's what they're teaching our kids. People will hold on to idols, and idols won't let go of their slaves. We need somebody. (laughs) We need somebody to get us out. We need somebody to save us. Once again, our salvation in Christ, when we look at this part of the story, means that we have been freed from the penalty of sin, freed from bondage, objectively freed from slavery to sin in the story it's that freedom from pharaoh and it's the crossing of the red sea and now in our journey through the to the promised land we are being freed from the power of sin those of you who know your systematic theology this is what it is christians have been freed from the penalty of sin so that they can be freed from the power of sin and ultimately be freed from the presence of sin that's what's happening here at the red sea The Israelites have been objectively freed from the clutches of Pharaoh but are still subjectively in chains. So when they saw the Egyptian army approaching, they reverted back to the slave mentality as if they were still slaves. They're not anymore. Their fear of Pharaoh is still greater than their fear of God. That's why if you notice the End of chapter 14. What does it say in the end of chapter 14? And they feared God. Because that's who they're supposed to fear. Not Pharaoh anymore. Now, there's the question, right? If that's what's happening, and the Egyptians all of a sudden did a 180, and they're blaming Moses, they're blaming God, you should have left us there. How does God deal with them? If I was God, I know what I would do. <laughs> oh, yeah? Go back. <laughs> right? That's what I feel like. like. Just go back. You want that? Just go. But this is how God deals with them. And I feel bad reading. That. I'll, I'll read it. Anyway. 14, 13. And Moses said to the people, fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which will help which will work for you. He will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never... The Lord will fight for you and you only have to be silent. That's a nice way of saying, shut up and just watch. Shut up and watch. And again, I would <laughs> I shouldn't watch any more TikToks. I get, I get angry. I get mad at people listening to their, the, the way they um, justify their causes is f- infuriating. <laughs> it doesn't, it's like, it's right there. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's not like it's abstract, like sex and gender. It's not abstract. No, but it's my feelings. It's, uh, <gasps> I feel like I should be rich. I'm not. I'm not going to go around. (laughs) Anyway, God still is long suffering, patient, kind, gracious, merciful. And He fought for them and He's going to fight for them. Right? How does God deal deal with the Israelites? He fights for them. How does God fight for the Israelites? More importantly, how does God save them from their bondage to slavery? Not the external one, because that's done. Internal. How does this part of the story mirror our salvation in Christ? How does all this kind of take place in this one part of the story? You want to know? Come back next week. And read the rest of it, please. And don't watch TikTok. I don't want you coming here next week angry. All right? Let's pray. The Lord bless you and keep.